Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Taking Your Next Step podcast from Collegians for Christ. Through each episode, we will journey together focusing on knowing what you believe and why you believe it. If you are eager, like I am, to strengthen your faith, then take your next step now by joining us in today's episode. Just how should believers respond knowing that the end of all things is near? We've been walking through the book of 1 Peter, and the theme has been living with hope. We've talked about how hope is absolutely essential to life. People need hope. And as Peter writes this, he's coming towards the end of the letter here, and he begins to write, hey, the end of all things is near. Now, when we understand when he wrote that, uh, it felt near to him, and this is nearly 2,000 years ago. Well, how much nearer to us is it? And, you know, some people mock, saying, well, you keep saying the end is coming. Where is the end? Peter would talk about that in the, his second book. Uh, but we understand Jesus Christ came just as he was prophesied, fulfilled many prophecies uh, that were written hundreds of years earlier, and we understand there's prophecies that are predicting his return again. We understand we don't know the time or the, the hour when he will return, but Knowing that the end of all things is near should produce certain things in our lives. One, it should produce comfort. Comfort to know that our Lord's coming back. Comfort to know that suffering will be no more. Uh, Comfort to know there will be no more evil. Evil will be judged. People will be judged for the evil they have committed. It also should produce urgency in our lives. We understand we don't know the hour, and we should not be sleeping, as Jesus said. We should be urgent with the gospel. We should be urgent about being good stewards with what God has given us, our time, our talents, our service to him. It also should produce, thirdly, discipline in our lives, knowing that we are to be good stewards, knowing that we don't know the time. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years. It could be 100 years. We don't know. It should produce a discipline in our lives regarding spiritual matters. And so Peter begins to write here, and he says, hey, the end of all things is at hand. Knowing this, I want you to be three things, he says here in our passage, beginning in verse 7. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So first of all, you and I must be watchful. Yes, we're to watch for when Jesus will return. We're not to think uh, he's not coming or begin to forget about it. We're to be watchful, but he says we're to be watchful this way, sober. And we think about sober, typically that's contrasted with drunkenness or uh, someone who's intoxicated. You're intoxicated or you're sober. Well, sober here means to be of a sound mind, to, to use sound judgment and moderation. So where we get the idea of being sober in comparison to intoxicated, it also has the idea of to be self-disciplined. Now, why is it so important for us to use sound judgment the closer that we get to the end of time? Well, you find a few different verses that talk about this. One is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 13. As Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We understand the times are not going to get better. Evil men and seducers... Those who are going to try to draw you away, they're going to be very crafty. They're going to be very seductive. They're going to be very deceptive, meaning they're almost like professionals in this regard, and they're going to get worse and worse with what they're trying to do, and they're going to be deceiving. So you and I must be sober. We must be of a sound mind, knowing that the end is coming because the times are going to get harder to discern. 
what is right and what is wrong. Jesus spoke on this as well in Matthew 24, verse number 24, when he said this, um, for there shall arise false prophets, or sorry, false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive, watch this, the very elect. So he says, look, there's going to be people that rise up that are false Christ, false prophets. They're going to appear to be true Christ and true prophets. They're going to do signs and wonders, which are going to make people just be astonished at them. They're going to be able to speak uh, in uh, powerful ways. They're going to be very articulate in how they communicate. They're going to draw people away. And it says this, that they could even deceive the very elect, that believers who are grounded in the word can be deceived. Why? Because the deception is that strong when we get near the end. And so Peter says, look, please be watchful. And as you're watchful, do that as soberness. He said, there's a lot of voices out there right now fighting for your attention. Every single day of your life, you have to filter the content, whether it be people at work, the professors you listen to in class, the podcasts and the YouTube videos you listen and watch, the TV, the media, the programs, all of that are voices with some sort of agenda, whether positive or negative, vying, fighting for your attention. And unfortunately, the closer we get to the end, there's going to be a lot of intentional false teachers producing false content. And we understand the that which is most dangerous is that which is closest to the truth. You see, if I want to tell you a lie, sometimes I don't want to make it so far-fetched, so far to to the, the right or left of it that you won't believe it. I want to make it seem as close to what it is, as close to the truth as possible. That way it's hard to discern. That way it's hard to, to, to know the difference. So you have to be able to discern people and content today. How do we do that? We can compare it against Scripture. We must know Scripture to do that. We must know the truth. We must know we can't trust everybody. We must know we need to weigh out their character. We need to weigh out uh, their history. We need to weigh out uh, just because someone has a large following doesn't mean they're telling you the truth. You and I must discern. And we need to be sober, but we also need to be prayerful. And that can also help us as we pray and seek God's will and seek God's guidance. And the Bible tells us we're to ask for wisdom. And James, he says, ask for it and God will give it to you. So if you need wisdom to discern things, God will give that to you. How? Through prayer. Now here Peter said we need to watch unto prayer. It's very interesting that he said this here in verse number 7. Watch unto prayer. What does that mean? It means to be alert and controlled in our prayer life. You see, this was a very personal charge for Peter. Because if you remember when he was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus would be arrested... Uh, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to pray, and I want you guys to sit here and pray with me. Mark chapter 14 records this account, and you may know, you if you remember, that uh, Jesus went and prayed. He came back, and he found the disciples there sleeping. He said, what, could you not even watch with me one hour? And he went away and prayed again, and he came back, and they were asleep. So I want you to picture this. Here's Jesus in his most uh, deepest moment of need. He asked his disciples, would you please pray with me? And they are a little bit tired, they're fatigued, and they lay their head down and close their eyes, and they're not praying with him. 
He comes back and says, hey, could you not? He says, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not, not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. He said, the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went and prayed and spake the same words and returned, and he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer him. So have you ever had people ask you, hey, would you mind praying for this for me? And you say yes, and maybe you get caught up at work or in church or different things go on, and you completely forget. And maybe they never say anything about it. Or maybe they come back and say, hey, did you pray for me with that? I just want to give you a report. And you almost want to say, yes, I did, even though you're unsure, or maybe even lying because you don't want to say, no, I didn't. I've had to tell people at times, no, I forgot, and I am awfully sorry. Here, this is very personal for Peter. He tells us to watch into prayer. Because that's the question Jesus asked him. Could you not watch one hour? Could you not watch with me and pray with me? You fell asleep, Peter. The, the time that I needed you most, you fell asleep. So Peter says, do not fall asleep in life. Do not fall asleep sitting in church. Do not fall asleep as you're allowing the voices and different things to occur. Be watchful unto prayer. Be alert and be controlled. Use sound judgment and moderation. Be self-disciplined because there's going to be a lot of false Christs. It means they appear to be a Christ, but they're not. And the only way you can discern is by being watchful. And so first of all, we need to be watchful, knowing that the end is near. Second, we need to be loving. Peter jumped right in. And what I love about the book of 1 Peter is just very practical. There's a lot of deep spiritual truths, but there's a lot of practical living that comes out of that. He says, okay, I want you to be sober. I want you to watch into prayer. But he says, and above all these, all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And so we understand love is the most important element in the Christian life. We are to love God and we are commanded to love others. Jesus said you can hang the entire law on those two commandments. But not only are we to love, but notice the word Peter used here. We are to, we are to love fervently. Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, fervent meaning intense, it's the idea of the athlete straining and stretching for the goal. It means stretched out. So we're to have this stretched out love, love beyond what we want to love, love that covers, as he says, a multitude of sins. You see, love is something that we have to work at. Love is an action of the will. It's not based on our emotions. So love is something we have to work at just as an athlete has to work at his or her skills. You see, it takes work. But it says here that love covers sins. We understand this is not uh, a person being pardoned for their sins before God, but as far as the sins we commit against each other. You know, when you're around people, unfortunately, we're not perfect creatures. People many times want to make the accusation they don't want anything to do with Christ or anything to do with the church because of hypocrisy. Because Christians say one thing, but do another. And many times there may be hypocrites. But many times, on the flip side of that, we're unperfect people and we do fall. And so maybe we want to strive to be like Christ, but we mess up and we ask for forgiveness. But people call that out as being a hypocrite. Here, he says, look, love, fervent love can cover a multitude of sins. That word cover means to like an envelope that would cover a letter. It means to wrap around like the bark on a tree. You see, Christian love is forgiving. At times, we can maybe misunderstand what the command to love others truly means, two different ways. 
One, we're to love others all the way through. Love is forgiving. Love is a decision of our will. But also, love does not mean we have to be mistreated, to be walked all over, or even to allow some type of physical, mental, emotional, or sexual abuse. You see, you can love and forgive because we're commanded to do that, but not place yourself back into an unhealthy relationship or an unbiblical relationship or situation. Sometimes we feel like, well, I'm supposed to forgive. I'm supposed to love. So I'm going to put myself right back in that situation. No, Peter, these people were in some dangerous situations. They were scattered abroad. Uh, There was severe persecution. There's all these false Christ and people trying to vie for their attention to draw them away. And Peter says, look, you need to have love one towards another, fervent love, and that's forgiving because you're going to have issues in church, at work. You have to forgive each other. But no, if you're forgiving, 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 we are to forgive. Peter even talked about that. We're not 70 times 7. There's not a number that we hit where we stop forgiving. But the idea is we are to forgive, but forgiving does not mean we have to walk right back and put ourselves in that situation. So we must be loving And under loving here, he talks about hospitality. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. When you think about hospitality, this is where our love should be practical. Now, what does it mean to be hospitable to others? What does that look like? Well, I would say you intentionally go out of your way to help others. I think being hospitable is to serve others, to to meet the needs of others. Maybe if you're being hospitable, you're you're sacrificing something of yourself, whether it be time, whether it be a talent, uh, whether it be money. You know, see some people that you think about. Maybe somebody right now. It's coming to your mind. You say they're very hospitable. They're always welcoming people into their home. They're always serving. They're always going out of their way to share a dish, share food. A lot of times hospitality happens around food. It doesn't always have to be that way. Uh, some people are gifted that way, but we are commanded here to be hospitable. Now, understand that hospitality is a spiritual gift, but we're all commanded as believers to be hospitable. Here in their day, their homes would be open and allow people to come in. Now in our culture, you know, we don't do that very often with, with um, uh, neighbors and people in the, in the community. Uh, we're just busy and, you know, our, our, our doors are closed where they used to be very open. Our doors are locked where they used to be unlocked. But we're to be hospitable as the time draws near. And he adds this without grumbling or complaining. Why would he need to add that? And to me, this passage should say use hospitality one to another, period. But he says without grudging. And that just means grumbling, complaining. You say we can display hospitality, but then complain about doing it. If we're doing that, then it's not true hospitality. It's not coming from love. Or we can exercise hospitality and begin to complain about the people or gossip about the people we're doing it for. You see, that's not true love or truly being hospitable. And also the world is watching and many times can see through fake hospitality. How many times have you seen or been with someone and you just know, hey, they're, they're just made to do this or they're just checking it off? Um, how many times have you been to lunch or dinner, somebody had you in their home, and you're like, okay, or they're just not listening, they're not being hospitable. Uh, with our ministry, we travel around a whole bunch, and uh, we've been in a lot of different churches, and we've we've met a lot of different people, and we've had people, of course, that have taken us you know, out to lunch or out to eat while we're traveling. And I understand we're busy people, but you can tell the ones, and sometimes they even tell you, look, I, I have to do this. 
and it's just a quick 30 minutes and, you know, you're gone. There's no hospitality to it. I understand that we're busy and sometimes it's uh, something we have to do with a job. Uh, but hospitality doesn't express that to our guest. We still take that 30 minutes and invest it because we're to be hospitable regardless if we want to do it or not. That's what love does. And so when you have, uh, let me say this, don't always be sitting waiting for the invitation to be given to you. Sometimes people complain, well, I'm not getting invited. I'm not getting invited. Nobody's including me. Where are you extending the invitation? That's what being hospitable means. If you're not extending it, don't expect other people to extend it. So stop sitting around waiting for people in your church, in your community, at your workplace. Be hospitable because that is a direct avenue to be able to serve God and to be able to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you're hospitable, you build relationships. You give yourselves the opportunity and the place to share life with people. As you share life with people, you get to share truth. You get to share the gospel with people. So being hospitable is a absolutely first foot forward in uh, serving God. And so then we talk about this. He says, look, be watchful, be loving. And then lastly, we must use our gifts. So the time is coming close. The, The world is drawing to the end. And he says here, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So number one, you have to know your gift in order to use your gift. God has gifted you. We understand that as every man hath received the gift. You are gifted. Now, some of you listening may have many gifts. And if you go to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 14, there's a large list of spiritual gifts there. Read that at your own time and go through it. But you need to know your gift. I recently asked a group of young adults, uh, hey, who in here would say, hey, I know what my spiritual gift is? One, two hands went up out of a, you know, a group of about 20 or 30, 25 or 30 young adults. And, and that's fine. But how can we use our gift if we don't know what our gift is? You see, everyone has at least one gift, and you are to discover your gift or gifts. That is our goal. That is our responsibility. If God has given us a gift, we are to use it. We're not to hide it. We're not to disregard it. We're not to care less about it. We are to discover it. We are to develop it, and we are to use it for the glory of God. Now, how can you discover your gift? Well, think about maybe what you're passionate about. Think about the doors that God is opening and closing for you. Sometimes that would direct you into a gift. Listen to what others point out in you. You know, watch for those open opportunities and doors. And sometimes a gift may not be what you think it is, or you you, uh, may not think that you have it or understand that you have it until you have a chance to develop it. Uh, For me, I made a D- in public speaking. I hated it. I despised it. It made me nervous. Um, And I remember uh, a year or two after that, uh, we began growing in church and trying to find somewhere to serve. And my pastor came and said, hey, look, we've had a shift up in our youth department. Would you consider being the youth leader, you, you and Amanda? I said, I will pray about that. But honestly, I don't want to be in there with a bunch of rebellious teenagers. I was one of those. I've never taught uh, that's not my gifting, and he just said, pray about it, which I did, and I said, okay, I feel you know this will be a good opportunity. I'm letting you know I'm not gifted in teaching, and this is kind of my background, and he gave me a little guidance, and I went in there with seven pages and read verbatim off those pages. Even though I read verbatim at the very end, one of those t- teenagers said, hey, Mr. Kyle, did you know you said, um, 26 times? I said, wow, thank you for the encouragement. 
The next time it wasn't seven pages, it was five pages. And, you know, after a couple years of that, I was able to shrink down the notes, became more fluid, more confident. Now, I don't look at myself as some gifted speaker, but I do know that God called out a spiritual gift in me because I do love to teach and I do work at that. I study, I read books, and I practice as much as I can any opportunity that I get, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a class, whether it's Bible study on the college campus, whatever it is. Um, I take every opportunity I have to develop that gift. Some people will be more gifted than others, but God has given you a gift, and you must discover what that gift is so that you can use it. So we're discover it, but we're to use it to minister to others. And you and I have a responsibility with that gift to develop it, whatever it is, by learning, studying, and practicing. And sometimes your spiritual, excuse me, your spiritual gift will coincide with your vocation. Sometimes people can't see how can me being a teacher at a school be a spiritual gift. You can utilize that in a powerful way. How can me being a doctor, a nurse, a physical therapist, whatever it is, you can use that gifting that God has given you as an avenue to reach people, to minister to people, to serve people, to be hospitable. Remember, many times it's not all about just reaping the harvest. When you think about gardening, there's so much work that goes into planting the seed, watering, fertilizing, tilling the soil, and then the harvest is simple. You just pick the fruit. But many times you're in your job, in your vocation, in your spiritual gifting, it may be to water, to plant, to, uh, to sow the seed so that the harvest will come. But the bottom line is we are direct, directly accountable to God for our gifts. And with more knowledge and ability comes more accountability. So we are to be watchful. We are to be loving. And we are to use our gifts as the end draws near. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.